You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. around you. Just look around you. Have you worked out what we're looking for? Correct. The answer is maths. And welcome back to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is, of course, Garrett Ashley Mullet coming to you from Greeley, Colorado. Episode 387, yes, that's right, 387. Speaking of maths, (laughs) today is also, to throw out some additional numbers for you, May 10th, 2022, my wife has a birthday coming up in just two days. It will be my first day back to work, which my kids think is a major bummer, but it is what it is. Because maths, actually. Uh, By the way, if you like quirky British comedy, if you like comedy, if you like smart comedy, if you like dry comedy, all of the above are to be found in ample quantity in the BBC television comedy series called Look Around You. It is so very funny. It basically riffs on the educational-type documentary shorts that they must play, you know, closer to the way that they're presented and satirized in the BBC version. They must play that way much more so in the UK. But we all know, right? Like, we all know that the campy educational short videos... Uh, here in the U.S., uh, they're just, they're so bad. <clears throat> they're so bad. Every year I have to take a whole slew of safety trainings for work. And without fail, you'll have some old campy videos that were made 20, 30 years ago. And the quality is awful and the writing is lame and the acting is even worse. And they'll do these little skit bits where they're acting out somebody doing some extremely dumb thing at work and having an accident. And then, you know, like the most graphic, but also, dare I say it, the most entertaining, uh, have been just way over the top in terms of like blood and gore. Like somebody's working on a piece of equipment. And this is not like when this actually happens, it's not funny at all. But just how bad the quality of these videos are sometimes is funny. But somebody's working on some piece of rotating equipment and they don't lock it out. And then somebody comes along and just ho-hum, like very canned, uh, you know, 
oh, I, why is this piece of equipment off? I'm going to turn it on. And then they turn it on. And then the person starts screaming and yelling. And then you see their legs just like, you know, jerking up in the air. And the person who did the turning on has this like way exaggerated, horrified look on their face. And next thing you know, like body parts and blood and viscera are just like flying at them way over the top. Thankfully, my current employer has not subjected me to such videos. All of their safety trainings uh, have been uh, much better in the production value. I'll, I'll say that. Uh, but there have been some some real stinkers in the past. But also too, you know, I would guess for uh, public schoolers, a great many of you guys were probably subjected to some pretty campy uh, educational videos that every now and then the teacher would decide, hey, I just don't feel like talking the whole session today. And so we're just going to watch this little video to help illustrate my point. And if they grabbed some old one off the shelf, might not have been so great, might have been super, super campy. Well, look around you. This comedy series by the BBC, it ran for uh, I think 15 episodes, something like that. But it just, it totally riffs on it in this very intelligent, dry way. And uh, I think some of the episodes are like, ones like Calcium, and the one that I played just a little bit of a clip at the top of this episode uh, from is Maths, and it's it's very funny. Uh, water is another, Germs is another, Ghosts is another. And so they try to do this very, you know, sciencey approach to these topics, but all the while they're saying things that are just totally absurd, but they're saying them in a very serious way. And and you have to watch. It's not enough to just listen. Listening is good, but you have to watch as well because like the they definitely do the like old 80s 90s style uh you know wardrobe and acting, you know, to, to act out what's going on. And very often there are just very subtle, absurd, ridiculous things slipped into the footage. And all the while, the guy who's actually narrating has this just perfect British, intelligent, educated uh, narration over the top. It's just, it's great. It's wonderful. So check that out. Uh, I found, I think the full episode of Maths and probably you know, several more besides are on Vimeo. Uh, Daily Motion, I think, also has some. But you got to be careful with Daily Motion. They've got some. Well, we'll just say uh, Daily Motion is uh, a mixed bag in terms of what will show up in the related videos very often. Sidebar uh, listing. Careful about that one. Be careful about that one. If you've got some little kids looking over your shoulder and watching, look around you. I've never seen anything. I don't think I've seen all the episodes, but I don't think I've ever seen any of those episodes that were, um, you know, that had anything inappropriate. I'll put it that way. So good, clean, fun, dry humor, British humor, and uh, a, a good laugh. But for today's topic, I actually do want to talk about maths legitimately. And I'll tell you a story or two. So Sunday was Mother's Day and we celebrated my wife in particular. Uh, She is the closest mother at hand to us and she's the one who has, 
you know, other than her mother and my mother bringing us into this world. Uh, the one who in our household is uh, the, the one to celebrate. She's the one to beat because she has had these eight kids, these eight human beings, eight children are alive and here and part of the world, part of reality, because she was not just willing, but she was happy to have them and is happy to raise them. And so we're very, very thankful for her. But as a way of expressing our gratitude, our thankfulness, I asked her on the way home from church. We drove separate. She took the van and came later, and I took the truck and came earlier because I was helping with music. You know, I I called her. I had four of the kids. She had four of the kids. Uh, I said, you know, so so what do you want to do for... uh, for Mother's Day, what what sounds good to you? What do, what do you prefer? Uh, you know, I'm living with my wife in an understanding way, as I see it, uh, by asking such questions from time to time. Uh, but she says, "Well, I, you know, I, I would like to not cook," which is the you know, like absolutely classic mom answer on Mother's Day. I would like to not cook, <laughs> and of all days for that to be entirely endorsed and uh, honored. Mother's Day is a day when mothers should not have to cook if they don't want to cook. And so <clears throat> I said, well, what sounds good? You know, I, I could grill something. It's a little windy, but you know, I could run to the store. I've got the kids uh, that I have with me, and we can go in and collect what we need. Uh, do you want me to get something to grill? And uh, she says, yeah, that sounds good. I'd, I'd like you to grill something. Uh, I like it when you grill. And uh, so she threw out the suggestion of burgers. We ended up going to King Supers on 10th and getting all the fixings, right? Burgers, buns, condiments, because uh, we weren't sure. Sometimes you ask the question of, do we have condiments? And one child familiar with putting away food will tell you, oh, yes, we have everything but ketchup. And another will tell you, oh, we have everything but mustard. And another, you know, We'll, we'll tell you, oh, we have everything but mayonnaise. And so I ended up, I just got one of each and whatever we don't use now, we know we will use it at some point and uh, we'll just put it on the shelf if we don't need to open it yet. But we went through the store, collected everything, checked out. Uh, Eli and Solomon and Evelyn ran back to get some lettuce because we realized while we were in the checkout, oh, we forgot to get lettuce. And so they ran across the store, uh, probably far too fast and far too recklessly. Uh, maybe not, but but probably. <laughs> uh, and they they got lettuce um, just in time for me to have checked out with everything else. <laughs> so I went, you know, I went through the checkout a second time. This time with a uh, uh, self checkout and bought just the lettuce and. Uh, and I, I, I kid you not, you know, and and of course, I, like I'm, I'm not gonna just get, you know, burgers and ketchup and buns, as if that's enough. You're gonna get burgers and ketchup and mustard and mayonnaise and some lettuce and some chips and uh, a bag of chocolate morsels because 
there's a certain kind of chocolate that my wife has figured out uh, does not have any dairy or any gluten. Uh, she's got a food sensitivity to both. And so she asked if we could get her some of that. So we did. And, uh, and, and then we got uh, two boxes of Kroger brand uh, ice cream bars. And it, it really struck me. Yeah, it really, really struck me when we checked out with all of that and, and nothing more, nothing extravagant, nothing extra. Like we didn't throw some Lego sets in there and, you know, like nothing like extravagant. That, that's just burgers and the, the fixings and chips and ice cream bars and a little bag of chocolate morsels. It was $115 for just that. $115. Now, granted, now those of you who are in the know will say, well, yes, Garrett, but you've got you, Lauren, and eight children. So, yes, yes, $115. I could see that. <laughs> but all the while, I'm thinking to myself, man, alive, $115. That is insane. You know, usually when... You talk about you know getting a meal on Mother's Day, and you think spending a hundred bucks. At least in my experience, you know I think really nice restaurant, like nicest restaurant we would go to, and even then, you know like a hundred bucks. Uh, maybe not the whole family, but like a hundred bucks. That's it's pretty spendy. But that is inflation for you. That is rising uh, food costs due to supply and demand uh, fundamentals. That is Colorado being a rising cost of living area relative to the rest of the country. Greeley is the least expensive place to live on the front range, I'm told. Uh, But still, you know, we're, we're seeing more and more people move here from other states and also from elsewhere in the state of Colorado. And especially we're seeing more and more people move here from California and moving from California. uh, Very often they are selling their home in California for a pretty penny and coming here and driving the cost of homes up, both because, again, supply and demand dynamics, and also because they're flush with cash. So what you find is you find more dollars because they sold their homes in California for quite a lot and they have a lot of cash from that. Uh, you have more dollars chasing fewer homes and what that will do based on supply and demand is mean that those selling homes will sell them as they should be expected to, to the highest bidder. Whoever's going to offer the most is going to get it. And whoever tries to lowball or negotiate or whittle them down, get them below asking price, even get them at asking price, is just going to find that they cannot buy a house in this market. Uh, period. Plain and simple. No ifs, ands, or buts. Uh, in Greeley, I have been told that typically fifteen dollars to $50,000 above asking price is what most of the houses are going for. I have looked and homes selling with 2,000 to 3,000 square feet 
four or five bedrooms, two or three bathrooms, are consistently going for between three hundred and fifty and five hundred thousand dollars. And we're not talking mansions. We're not talking super extravagant indoor pool, tennis courts, billiard room, guest house. Like we're talking pretty simple homes. But that's supply and demand for you. So we're looking at that. And we're looking at grocery costs. And my wife is trying to keep tabs on what groceries are costing us so that, hey, we can look at, okay, where where can we be more frugal and more conservative in what we buy? And there are definitely limits in how frugal and how conservative you can be. Uh, but we are looking at being only a third of the way through the month as of today and already having spent $1,300 on groceries, which is crazy town. That's insane. So there's math for you. As we were leaving King Supers, though, on Sunday, we are on our way out of the parking lot, about to turn back onto the road. And here is a guy, you know, probably in his 30s, maybe 40s, maybe late 20s, maybe mid 30s, standing there on the sidewalk with a sign. And I think he had uh, a couple of kids with him, maybe. It was a couple of people, right? It was two or three people. And he's holding a sign, and I didn't read it super close, but uh, something to the effect that anything would help because they were trying to pay for food and housing and utilities. That's all. Food, housing, utilities. We need to be able to afford to eat, and we need to be able to afford our home, and we need to be able to keep the lights on, literally, and keep the, the water running, and keep the trash collection service showing up. And so, you know, obviously my kids are in the vehicle with me and they're just like, what's that? Like, what are they doing? And I, you know, I was trying to explain, but you know, it's one of those things where you just, I don't know, like this is sometimes just the benefit of, of children. And I mean that uh, sincerely. Sometimes you, you think you know how to explain something like that simply until you're asked to by a child and they have a confused look on their face. Uh, but I just told them, I said, well, I, I don't know quite what all is going on behind the scenes, but at least the sign says that they can't afford to live here. That's, that's what I'm reading, uh, plain and simple. They can't afford to live here. And so they're asking people to give them money to help them to pay their bills and to buy food and that's just that's just what it is uh they are i think a good example of why yours truly uh is entertaining offers from other states particularly states with lower costs of living where the trends look better where taxes are going to be lower where 
the cost of housing especially would be significantly less, the availability of housing would be significantly less, or the likelihood of having uh, very steep utility bills will be less. You don't get the peak summer rates everywhere like you do here. Electricity here, they will charge you a premium if you use over a certain amount. Like the rate does not stay, it, the rate does not stay constant. It kicks up into a much higher gear if you use over a certain amount. And that's difficult to manage when it's hot and you need to run the air conditioners. Or when you got a big family and you're running two refrigerators and two stand-up freezers plus lights and computers because we do homeschooling via computer and I work via computer. You know, that this is this is why kids I'm entertaining offers from other states. Uh, 80,000 a year take home. Uh, it does not quite cover what we're seeing uh, in terms of a rate of increase uh, for cost of living. And it's, it's going the wrong direction. It's not getting better. It's getting worse. <clears throat> Groceries are getting more expensive, not less expensive. Utilities are getting more expensive, not less expensive. Uh, our property manager recently teased the prospect of raising rent. Still hasn't gotten back with me. She was going to get back with me the following week, but still hasn't. So I don't know if she will try to or won't try to. She probably will try to, just hasn't gotten around to it yet. But rent is going up. Groceries are going up. Utilities are going up. Gas prices have definitely gone up. The cost of everything uh, is going up. And so what you have to do in order to make the math work is you have to find a way to reduce costs, which you can only cut so far and still be wise, uh, or you have to find a way to get income to go up. And so, yes, plain and simple, uh, it, you know, if I can get OT, cool. But if I can't, that's a problem. That's trouble. Uh, if I could get a raise, that's great. But if I get more responses like I've gotten so far that, well, hey, you know, corporations aren't just giving out raises to everybody who wants one. Uh, well, that's, it, you're limiting my options. I'll just put it that way. You are limiting my options. Process of elimination, uh, you're not leaving me a whole lot of choice here, but to start looking. And it isn't to say at all, at all, at all, that I dislike what I do or who I'm working with, but it is to say that maths are part of the fabric of reality. And our maths happen to be uh, only so flexible when we have a family this size, which, you know, someone will say, and I, I had a boss at my last place of employment who really got under my skin when I told him, I said, well, some of the, some of the things that you're doing to my schedule, uh, my workflow, you don't need to. I feel like you're doing these things just because I came to you and gave you my honest opinion as you were taking over and you didn't like it and you got offended and now you're trying to punish me by cutting my hours. And... I am the sole breadwinner. 
I have all these children. I have a responsibility to provide for my family. I get offers on a weekly basis from other companies. And sometimes those offers are pretty good. Uh, you want me to keep turning down offers? You, you can't you can't cut my pay because I, I need to provide for my wife and my children. I have all these children. And his response was, well, we all make personal choices. You know, and and so it's like, okay, you know, that, clearly you're making your personal choice right now. You're right. I have to make personal choices. And so if I have to make the personal choice to do what provides for these children and for this wife, that's what I will do. Uh, thank you for making your position clear. <laughs> also, you're a jerk. <laughs> God bless you so hard because I really want to punch you. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just, it, it's maths. And, and what I don't mean when I, when I'm talking about maths here, what I don't want to imply is that it's all just a numbers game. It all comes down to dollars and cents. And yet we do read in the wisdom literature of King Solomon, wisest man who ever lived, money answers everything. And I really have to say for my own peace of mind sake, for my own conscience, to keep myself straight here and to not allow myself to be overburdened in ways that might prevent me from making decisions that I need to make or evaluating opportunities that I need to evaluate. Some Christians really do get it mixed up. I think that to say the math is such and such uh, is somehow inherently unspiritual or untoward or ungodly. You know, I would remind you of the story in the Gospels, and it actually happened more than once, but thousands of men came out to the wilderness to hear Jesus preaching and teaching, and they ran out of food. And not only they, but their wives and children with them were hungry. And the Gospels record that Jesus had compassion on them. And what does Jesus do? He asks if anyone has any food. And this one boy is brought forward who has some loaves and fish. And Jesus prays over the loaves and fish and they are blessed miraculously, and somehow everyone is fed. And among the Pentecostal charismatic crowds I have known, the charismatic folk I have been friends with over the years, a special emphasis is placed on the fact that Jesus does a miracle there and that Jesus will do miracles for us and God will provide. And that is well, I'm not disputing that, uh, nor do I have any objections at all. If the Lord's will is to put us in a position where it will take a miracle to feed us. <laughs> but the flip side is <laughs> we should not presume. And we should not be foolish and unwise because God also says that if we have, if we lack wisdom, if we ask 
for wisdom. If we have need of wisdom, we need only ask and God will give us wisdom freely. For another biblical anecdote that I think is relevant here, consider the story of Joseph. Daddy's favorite. He's got a coat of many colors. His brothers hate him because they know that he's the favorite. They want to kill him. They end up negotiating amongst themselves down from killing him to merely selling him into slavery. And at a certain point, he's accused, falsely, of committing a crime, of sinning against his master, Potiphar, by trying to rape his wife. He's falsely accused. He's actually the innocent party. The wife, in that case, was uh, the progenitor of the Me Too movement, make an accusation, destroy this guy for not giving me what I wanted, and Joseph is thrown in prison. While in prison, Joseph interprets the dreams of the royal cupbearer and the royal baker. In such and such a number of days, one of you will be released, exonerated, put back into service, and the other of you will be released in the sense of your soul leaving your body because you're going to be put to death. And it comes to pass. And the one who is released promptly forgets about Joseph until one day Pharaoh has a dream. Very troubled. Pharaoh is very troubled because he doesn't understand what these very disturbing dreams mean. And no one can tell him. Nobody can tell him what his dreams mean. But Joseph comes to mind and is sent for and interprets. And the interpretation of the dream is that seven years of plenty will be followed by seven years of famine. And a great many people will starve to death if you don't store up food and prepare during the years of plenty. Pharaoh hears the interpretation of the dream and concludes, I've got a great idea. You be in charge of making all the necessary preparations. Fast forward, all the preparations are made. Food has been stored away for seven years of plenty. And everyone is coming to Egypt to buy food because they can't find food in their lands because they didn't prepare. Joseph's brothers show up. Joseph toys with them a little bit to test them, to see what their character is these days, so many years later, and he ultimately reveals himself to them. Now, when Joseph reveals himself to them, they're very afraid because they're thinking to themselves, payback is <laughs> coming. Payback is a coming. What did you think I was going to say? But Joseph doesn't get revenge. In fact, he does just the opposite. He tells them to go home, tell their father that he's alive. And not only that, but gather their households and their father, their father's households and servants and flocks and everything and come to Egypt. And he will set them up. He will make room for them, make sure that they are attended to, protected, to make sure that they have a home. Now, I look at that and I think to myself, that too 
is sometimes the way that the Lord works. Sometimes the way that the Lord works is by pain and necessity and deprivation and setbacks. I mean, you don't get much more of a setback than Joseph's brothers selling him into slavery, him going from daddy's favorite to being a slave, and then going from being a slave to being in prison because you were falsely accused of a crime you didn't commit, of a crime that actually was committed against you, but it has been twisted and you're not credible. And it's not convenient. It's not convenient to believe you, even if you are believable. Even if Potiphar's wife is not believable, it's not convenient to believe you. It's the politics. It's the optics. right? How would it look? Perception is reality, as I've been told by some very unscrupulous people down through the years. But here's the thing. In the end, what does God accomplish by Joseph's suffering? He accomplishes the salvation of Joseph's family, which is a type of Christ, which is a foreshadowing, if you will, of what Christ did. Imperfect, yes, because you're dealing with flawed, imperfect people, but nevertheless. So I look at the maths here, and I think to myself, supply and demand, economics, it's important. Now, I could say that, and I could say I have to reckon with the pluses and the minuses, the debits and the credits, the over and the under, the profit and loss, money coming in, money going out, cash flow. I have to I have to reckon with that. And what I have to really, really be careful of is to not be anxious as I'm looking at the maths. Now, we recently sold our home in Montana, and we did get equity out of it. That's great. All of that equity went to trying to pay down debts that we've incurred over the past two and a half years, especially, particularly through COVID, particularly dealing with some malicious frontline management at my previous role, my previous job, cutting my hours, working strictly my 40, after having cut my hours by changing the way in which I was compensated, what were counted as billable hours and what weren't. I had to get out of there. I just absolutely had to. It was such a toxic, bad scenario. And now I find myself in a very happy place, honestly. Now, this job is challenging. It definitely taxes my mental endurance. Seven days, 12-hour days, 12-hour days in theory. Some days are longer, honestly. But 12 hours. I charge for 12. I was told to charge for 12 per day. So that's what I do. But you know, I, I look at the supply and demand, and I, I have enough work-life experience under me to know, and I've been around the block enough times, and I've been in this industry long enough to know, and I've worked for companies of all sizes. You don't get much smaller than the smallest company I've worked for, which was just a one-man operation, and I made two, and you don't get much bigger than super majors. Of the what are known as seven sisters... That is, the seven world's largest oil companies formed in the 1950s, this organization, this consortium, before OPEC. I've worked for two of them uh, so far. 
But that is to say, I've been around enough to know that the supply and demand, when it works in your favor, it's really, really good. And when it doesn't, uh, there's just no negotiating with it. There just isn't. It's business. It's math, plain and simple. And so you have to, you, you just, you just have to consider what is the math and what are the fundamentals and do the fundamentals and the math support me continuing course, maintaining course, or do the fundamentals and the math require that I start coming up with contingency plans? You know, I, I'll give you an example, a practical real world example. So take uh, a tank battery, for instance, 20 foot tanks. That's a pretty typical height in North Dakota, Montana. Here, it seems like there's a lot of 15 footers, much shorter tanks. Uh, They don't like tanks, water and oil tanks uh, being too high above the ground because a lot of folks uh, feel like they're an eyesore and they're more likely to get all upset about oil and gas development if their view of the mountains is interfered with, their view of nature is interfered with. But either way, you have a staircase that will allow you to go up onto the tanks. And in my experience, back when I was a pumper for four and a half years, a lease operator for four and a half years, you go up on the tanks when you are wanting to check and verify the level if you have Uh, level sensors that are going to just give you a digital readout. And there's some question as as to their accuracy. If you need to see how much of this level really is oil and how much of it really is water before you close out of a tank and have a truck come and haul it uh, or a gauger come and and ship it. Uh, Or if you are calibrating, replacing, installing tank level sensors, you have to go up on uh, you know, the staircase and the catwalk and you've got to work up there. Well, I remember years ago, I used to do inspections, uh, annual inspections of our facilities. And you've got just, you know, a stack of papers for every facility. You're supposed to answer these little questions of, is this here? Is this present? Is this up to date? Is this current? Is this accurate? Do we have this? Do we have this? Do we have this? And you're answering from a Safety of personnel standpoint, from a integrity of the equipment standpoint, and from a compliance with regulation standpoint. Those are your your three big categories, health, safety, environment. And uh, of course, you've got regulation concerning all of the above. But one of the big questions you ask is, do we have egress exits for the tank battery? Or at least a egress exit. That is to say, is there an alternative way to get down off these tanks if something happens and you're no longer able to use the way you came up. Is there a back door is the line from the movies when the way you came in, you hear bad guys with guns coming for you and and you need to not go back the way you came if you want to get out and get away from them before they get you. Well, let's say you're going up on a tank battery and something goes wonky and all of a sudden you've got a whole big problem on your hands in terms of uh, a bunch of gases just pouring out and you can't you, you can't go into that gas cloud 
or it's going to overcome you. You're going to be overwhelmed. You're going to lose consciousness and, and you might even die. Uh, if you fall or else you just are oxygen deprived, you, you might die. And if it's a high H2S, uh, hydrogen, hydrogen sulfide is what H2S stands for. If it's a high H2S facility, just a whiff could be enough and you're gone. Uh, but, you know, let's suppose something happens, something breaks, and all of a sudden there's this release of gas back the way that you came, and you need to find a different way down and out of there. You need to evacuate the area and call for help. If there's only the way that you came, maybe you can take a deep breath, hold it, and walk through anyways. But let's suppose something's on fire, something, something explodes, and that part of the catwalk is damaged. Let's suppose something's not secure, God forbid. Let's suppose rust or neglect or wind damage or whatever causes that way you came up to just not be an option, period. That's where you need an egress exit. And you want to know if you're wise, if you're smart, you're filling out a permit to go into a confined space, for instance, you want to know that you have somebody watching to make sure, listening to make sure that you're okay in there. You've purged the vessel. There's no possibility that flammable vapors or liquids are going to come in contact with oxygen and an ignition source before you go in there. So you're going to test the atmosphere. You're going to purge it. You're going to ventilate you're going to have somebody on standby. You're going to work with the buddy system. You're going to get management approval to where people know that you're there and they've signed off on this. They've double-checked your work to make sure that this is actually safe. But you, you, know, you do that, and you do that as a matter of course. And the reason you do that as a matter of course is because at the end of the day, real people can be very seriously harmed if you miss something. If you're just nonchalant about it and you just shrug and it's actually, it's, it's not, it's not a good God honoring thing in that kind of an environment where it could be a matter of life and death. It could be a matter of somebody being seriously maimed, injured, disabled, incapacitated, unable to work ever again if they survive. If you just say, well, I don't need to double check. I don't need to be careful. I don't need to follow these procedures. I don't need to be diligent. I'm just going to trust the Lord. By all means, yes, please trust the Lord. Do. But also trust that the Lord has given us wisdom and commands in his word, which are relevant to such situations. He's given us permissions and prohibitions and cautions and warnings and admonishments and we do well to heed those and not just trust and not just trust him in an abstract way or in a flippant way. So you do have to look at the maths. And Proverbs says that the wise see trouble coming and they hide themselves. And so I look at this and I think to myself, okay, well, I'm going to make up a list. I'm going to make a list of things that I can actually do. I'm going to pray and ask the Lord for wisdom. And when he gives me wisdom concerning our situation, then I will trust him as I act on the wisdom. And I will, yes, consult wise counselors 
you know, just just like and, and think of it this way. I was explaining it to my wife the other day. I said, you know, concerning South Carolina, and it, I don't I don't know what the odds are. I would give it maybe fifteen percent. You know, like I'm not extremely optimistic that South Carolina itself is going to work out. Maybe it will. Maybe it won't. Only the good Lord knows. God willing, we'll live into this or that. But if it's some other option, kind of like that, I can still use this opportunity, even just considering this opportunity as a kind of test case for clarifying our priorities and our principles and what we believe we ought to do moving forward. You know, the the opportunity with Tesla, for instance, uh, a recruiter with Tesla reached out to me several years ago and uh, they offered me a job. I went through the interview process. I was super motivated, but the time was not right. And the pay was, and the pay, quite frankly, was not right. But they offered me a job and I had to turn it down because it was just not, it was not a good fit and it wasn't a good time and it would not have benefited my family. Uh, I didn't believe. And I trusted the Lord that the Lord would provide and that the Lord did provide. He provided me with wisdom. And so I acted on the wisdom that I believed the Lord had provided me there. They offered me the job a second time, a little bit more money. I turned them down again because it really had more to do with timing. It it was a, a money thing too, but it had more to do with timing than with money. But there was still a benefit in considering <clears throat> the opportunity because our situation in Montana was not sustainable either. And And what I mean by that is the fundamentals of our <clears throat> home economy in conjunction with the fundamentals of our local eastern Montana, Sydney, Montana economy, uh, just uh, did did not add up <clears throat> to longevity and sustainability. And to my view, it was a little bit like the dream that Pharaoh dreamed, or rather the dreams that Pharaoh dreamed, which translate to seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine. And so part of what I've done, and I, I share this with you, not to pain anyone, I, you know, that's, that's probably, you know, if there's any, if there's anything that gives me grief and breaks my heart in all of this, it is the thought that I would cause emotional anguish and sadness and frustration and confusion for anyone that we know here, as I'm talking uh, in this way, uh, but I want to share it with you in part because I, I want to provide things honest in the sight of all men, and I don't want to catch anyone flat-footed if all of a sudden we say uh, we're moving. Uh, because I, I do think, just based on the, un- unless the Lord provides us with the means to stay, I, I do think it's just a question of time and the right opportunity. Um, and, and if the Lord opens the door for us to stay here, great. I will be thrilled. No one will be as happy as I will be. Uh, if the Lord does not provide an opportunity to stay, he provides an opportunity for us to leave and to move to somewhere where the math is uh, more conducive, then I want to be content with that. I also want to grease the skids, if you will, for my family being content with that, for the people that we know and love dearly here to be content with that. But, I, you know, also too, I mean, I, I realize 
I realized that I have a responsibility, uh, you know, as I see it, to people who have come to know us, people who have come to know me, people who have come to know my family here. I have a responsibility to say, here's where we're at. Uh, to some extent, I, I don't have to give you all the gory details, but again, you know, when it comes to framing expectations and, and also, you know, I- explaining the reluctance to commit to certain things, I, I would be remiss if I gave no response at all when people ask if I would be willing to do X, Y, and Z, but I just said, no, I, I feel like that would be a kind of negligence on my part if I left it open to interpretation by them that it was something personal against them that was causing me to say, no, thank you. I mean, don't get me wrong. There are times where there are personal reasons why I might not want to be involved in something, but I don't want people to think there are personal reasons when there aren't personal reasons, except that I'm, I'm trying to protect you and I'm trying not to commit to something that I can't deliver on. I don't want to do, I don't want to do that. But I think also too, I mean, for however long the Lord has us here or has you here or has you wherever you are, if I can share these things openly and talk about them, I think this is a practical way that I can help uh, all of us. I can, I can clarify my priorities and my way of thinking. And I can also hopefully, I hope by God's grace, provide a good example to you and, and maybe equip you with some good ideas for how to approach these sorts of decisions yourself in a wise way. You don't have to do it just the same way that I'm describing, uh, but maybe some of how I'm describing my own approach to these things sparks an idea, gives you something to get started, to get off dead center. Maybe it helps you. I, I hope so. But I'll tell you, one of the things that I did as I'm trying to think through this uh, over the past week off. And and this has been a, a very big topic in our household uh, since this past Thursday. But what I did is I, I went online and I found a uh, spreadsheet with a cost of living comparison of all 50 states. And there are several different categories. Uh, grocery cost is one. Housing cost is another. Utilities cost, yet another. Transportation cost, still another. Miscellaneous cost, I guess it's just the junk drawer everything else goes into. And then there's what they call the cost index, which I think is just everything altogether. You know, all, all things considered, here's what the cost of living is in this part of the country, relative to the national average. Uh, least expensive in the U.S., least expensive state is Mississippi at 86.1 cost index. That is to say, if 100 represents the national average, Mississippi is 14% cheaper than the national average. Most expensive state in the country is Hawaii at 193, which is to say it is nearly twice as expensive to live in Hawaii the leading contributor in that figure is housing at 313, which is to say homes in Hawaii are 
over three times as expensive as the national average in the continental U.S. After Hawaii is California at 151.7. And again, housing costs drive that to a great extent. Housing costs are 192.7% compared with the national average. So nearly double, which is also to say this is part of what's driving uh, states like Montana and Colorado to be more and more expensive. Californians are selling their homes in California for double what the national average is. Coming to a state like Colorado, and they're thinking, oh, these homes are cheap. Well, no, these homes were reasonably priced. Now they are expensive because you are coming in flush with cash and offering 60000 plus above asking. Thanks for that. Now, actually, here's an interesting thing. Ranking everything from 1 to 50, from least expensive to most expensive, as I said, Hawaii, most expensive state in the country to live in, California, second, third from the most expensive, or 48th from least, New York, followed by Oregon, 33rd most expensive, Colorado. So not the most, but the front range uh, is in a, a different category. Uh, bestplaces.net. If any of you are ever trying to consider a job opportunity somewhere, bestplaces.net is a great tool. We've used it over the years several times to try and war game uh, whether a, a recruiter offering a position in some other state would make sense based on the numbers we're talking for compensation and whatnot. In conjunction also, too, with uh, looking at home prices, what's available for real estate in the area. But Colorado is 33rd as of 2021 at 105.6. Uh, grocery costs, pretty much the national average, at least they were last year. Home prices, uh 116.7. So it's nearly 17% more expensive. Uh, but again, that's statewide. That's not necessarily Greeley. Certainly not places like Denver, Boulder. The, the Denver metropolitan area is significantly more expensive than the rest of the state or much of the rest of the state. And the closer you get to the mountains, the more expensive it gets. Uh, Montana, actually, funny story. Montana is next after Colorado in uh, most expensive. It's actually one position higher than Colorado at 34 with a cost index of 106.9. Groceries are 3.1% more expensive there than the national average. Housing is 5.9% more expensive. Utilities are less expensive, 88.1. Transportation Slightly less expensive, 95.3. Miscellaneous, 98.6. Now, what I don't think they necessarily are able to capture with this is just how remote a lot of the places in Montana are compared with access to good health care, access to various amenities you might require or need, and what the cost in time and money and energy is to go to, let's say, Billings, Montana from... Sydney, Montana, 
a four plus hour drive each way, that's, that's a cost that maybe doesn't always show up on a cost index like this. But some of the states that we're looking at, and you know, here's my rationale. And I, again, I share this with you because I hope if you're in a similar position, either now or ever, I hope that this might be something useful to you from a method and process standpoint. So I, I copied everything in the table. I made it a table so I can sort by any of these columns, cost index, grocery cost, housing cost, utilities cost, transportation cost, misc cost. And then I, I copied that whole table and I duplicated it on the same spreadsheet. And then I changed the paradigm to where every other state that's listed is judged against, measured against percent of Colorado's metrics. And again, you know, once you get down to the specific city, you know, that's where you start, you know, to figure out like what actually is, is pretty closely going to be the comparative cost of living. But say for instance, for example, a recruiter hits me up from Columbia, South Carolina, and they offer me a job there or they're, that's too strong of a wording. They ask if I would be interested in a position because they think I would be, uh, a really good, a really strong candidate for the position. Well, now I'm not just looking at the comparison between South Carolina and Colorado. I am specifically looking at what city in Colorado we live in and what city in South Carolina we might be considering a move to. So specifically, I'm comparing Greeley, Colorado with Columbia, South Carolina using bestplaces.net. But this spreadsheet serves as uh, a kind of middleman to help me narrow down, you know, what states, broadly speaking, generally speaking, might be acceptable to us. Now, interestingly enough, funny thing, I, I actually was building this spreadsheet before I heard from the recruiter. And I had excluded South Carolina. So then, of course, now that I'm considering it. It's like, well, okay, put it back in, <laughs> which is funny. Uh, which is, I mean, it just goes to show it's like, you know, if, if the Lord does put us there, it, you know, I'm going to look back on this and laugh even harder than I already am. But, uh, basically my, my paradigm was this, I'm going to read down through this list of States and I am going to weed out first, any States where I know from everything I hear coming out of that state that I hate their politics. I hate their politics and their politics are in some measure reflective of the culture of that state. And I don't trust it. I don't like it. It's not going to be a good fit. I don't want it. And I'm not interested. And so for instance, for example, I eliminated California. <laughs> I eliminated New York. And Illinois, I find Illinois, Illinoising, uh, pretty much eliminated every, and 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 this is just like, it could be me speaking from ignorance, but I eliminated every New England state because I never seem to hear anything conservative coming out of New England. Uh, also, the West Coast, 
I'm not interested in California or Oregon or Washington. Idaho, maybe, but we'll see. Not super interested, but we'll put it in there. I'm open. And and so I, I eliminated every state that I just have a very strong, disfavorable, um, call it impression of. And even even say that it's emotional on some level and it's political and philosophical and cultural on some level. I just don't think these states are going to be a good fit for us. I don't see it. Eliminate those. And then I'm going to go through and I'm going to eliminate all the states that I just feel really meh about. Just apathy. I have an apathy about them. They are kind of dead to me a little bit. And you don't need to know what all states uh, I eliminated in that way. I'll keep that to myself. But what I was left with were states that I actually along the ways I I highlighted states where from what I see from a distance from what I know or from having visited or from knowing people there who speak highly of those states and their politics and their culture because uh, I, I think that their culture is going to be reflected in their politics more or less uh, I have a, I have a favorable or strongly favorable impression of those states and so I'll just I will tell you, I have a strongly favorable impression of Florida because of what Ron DeSantis is doing. I have a strongly favorable impression of South Dakota because of what Christy Nome is doing. And not just them, also supportive state legislatures. But if, if we want to give a shorthand figurehead to, uh, to point to as indicative, as representative, that's the idea of representative government, Christy Nome and Governor Ron DeSantis and Governor Greg Abbott uh, reflect well on their states. And so I'm going to put them in the category. Actually, for that matter, Joe Manchin, even though he's a Democrat, if there were any state voting for Democrats, I might be able to see myself and my family doing well in. It would probably be the state Joe Manchin comes from, West Virginia. So I'm going to put it in there. Not that I really, really, really want to move to West Virginia, but I I'm open. Uh, Rand Paul is another from Kentucky. Not a big fan of the other senator from Kentucky. But Rand Paul, I like a lot. Ted Cruz from Texas also reflects really well on Texas. So I'm going to put Texas in the running. And so then what I did, you know, I've got the states that I have a f- either slightly favorable or strongly favorable impression of. With regards to if we were to move there, could I see us doing well? Could I see my family fitting in in some form or fashion or being able to make friends or being able to establish themselves? My, my sons being able to establish themselves and get work and have security, profitability, prosperity, peace. And that really narrowed it down uh, you know, before I excluded and then re-included South Carolina, it, it really narrowed it down to 15 states. And actually, I only include Colorado in this uh, because I would love it, again, I would love it if something changes and the math starts to work. But right now the math is not working. And it's not going to get better if inflation keeps on doing what it's doing. But 
in order of least expensive to most expensive of the 15 states, not counting South Carolina, because again, as I said, I excluded it from the get-go. I have New Mexico, Tennessee, Kansas, Wyoming, Iowa, Ohio, Nebraska, Kentucky, West Virginia, Texas, Idaho, Florida, South Dakota, Colorado, and just for anyhow, because I think it's a beautiful state, Alaska. And they pay you. They pay you to live there, which is pretty cool. Wouldn't have to pay me to live there. But if you want to, am I going to turn it down? No, sir. Uh, Also, I should add, (laughs) Ohio really doesn't belong in here. Uh, I just thought it would be interesting. I don't, we have no interest, zero, zip silch, nada, interest, and moving back to Ohio ever, 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 ever. Uh, But I thought just for kicks and grins as a comparison, because we do have a frame of reference uh, in Ohio, let's throw it in and just see what happens. New Mexico, I don't have a strong favorable, I have a slightly favorable impression because that's where Eli and I went for his 13th birthday. There's some super sketch places. There's some very, very poor parts of New Mexico that uh, I don't know what to make of. It's just foreign. Like it feels like a totally different country because it used to be a totally different country and it still is very much imprinted by the fact that it used to be a totally different country. And so it's not that I, it's not that I don't like it. I just don't, I don't quite know what to make of it, which is partly enchanting and also um, you know, just partly, well, I don't know. Uh, but I know that, for instance, New Mexico has an oil and gas industry. I know that my first supervisor in the oil and gas industry came from Farmington, New Mexico. So I know that there is oil in them thar hills, and that plus the cost of living being significantly lower, the lowest on this list, I would be open. I'll put it that way. I don't know that I'd be super jazzed, but I I would be open to it. New Mexico compared with Colorado, and again, this whole secondary tier list is all relative Colorado because that's where we live and that's what we really need to be weighing and measuring costs of living against. If the cost of living is no lower and my pay wouldn't go significantly up, then it wouldn't make sense. It wouldn't be worth it because that's the only reason. Again, it comes down to maths. That's the only reason that I would be interested in a move is if it advances the interests of my family, which it is my job to pursue. But just by the numbers, New Mexico, 82.86% overall cost index. And I'll just give cost index for all of this. Tennessee, 84% even. Kansas, 84.28%. Wyoming, 84.56%. Iowa, 85.32%. Ohio, again, that's a throwaway. Sorry, sorry, Buckeyes. But 85.98%. It's still useful as a, again, you know, something we're familiar with that we are, we do have a frame of reference to know kind of, you know, what that would be. Uh, Nebraska, 85.98%. So dead even with Ohio, cost of living wise. And we do have family there and we know people there. And we have a strong favorable impression of Nebraska from having visited several times, driven through several times. We've thought about moving to Nebraska before. It's the next state over 
So that's nice. Uh, Kentucky, 86.8, I'm sorry, 86.08%. Lauren's actually originally from Kentucky. She grew up in Southern Ohio, but she was born in Louisville, Kentucky. I like Kentucky. Between the two, I would way more prefer living in Kentucky because for one, bluegrass. For two, I like the trees and the horse pastures and horse barns and such. I like there's a Kentucky Derby there for a reason. Uh, I've known some good, decent, honest, down-to-earth folk from Kentucky. And again, uh, Rand Paul reflects well on the state. West Virginia, 86.27%. Texas, the land of big oil, 86.65%. Idaho, 87.41%. Florida, where my mother's from. I still have a significant amount of family, some friends in Florida, 92.71%. And going up because lots of people are wanting to move to Florida too because Ron DeSantis and they didn't lose their minds during COVID. South Dakota, 94.51%. Colorado, 100% of itself, yes. Colorado is exactly the same cost of living as Colorado. Alaska, 123%, which makes it not particularly attractive. I would not be going out of my way to try and find a job in Alaska. But but also, too, I know that the guys I've known who have worked there, uh, they got paid very handsomely. And so there's that. So for funsies, I created a an additional column for this kind of uh, third stage of our rocket, <laughs> our exploratory analytical rocket. <clears throat> uh, this third stage extra column that I added in, uh, I just titled Quick Notes. And uh, for New Mexico, I put Desert. I mean, just first, like a word association game. Uh, What do I think when I think New Mexico? Desert. Tennessee, probably a lot of people would say uh, Nashville, country music. I think Daily Wire because the Daily Wire relocated to Tennessee. I've had a lot of family actually on my dad's side that have lived in Tennessee and since moved. Most of them back to Montana. I think all of them, but at least most of them. Uh, Kansas, uh, a couple of different words came to mind. Uh, for Lauren, she thought Wizard of Oz. We're not in Kansas anymore. Uh, my first thought was Heston, Kansas, because that's where my grandpa moved my dad and his siblings and my grandma back, you know, decades and decades ago. And he and my great uncle bought XL Industries. And I think they just recently sold, or my dad's cousins recently sold it for like just some ridiculous astronomical amount, like hundreds of millions of dollars. My grandpa got out of it a long, long time ago. But I think Heston, when I think Kansas. Uh, Wyoming, I think it's next door. It's, it's, just, it's just over the border. And, uh, and it would, you know, it's one attractive thing about Wyoming. They do have an oil and gas industry. They are not far. 
so we could still be involved in the lives of people that we know and love here. That would be nice. Uh, also, it would be sandwiching us right smack dab between Montana and Colorado. And so we would still actually, and all the more, be able to interact with people that we know in my home state. Iowa, I think straw poll, because I am into politics. Uh, the Iowa straw poll uh, is kind of this fun tradition whereby they try to predict who would win in a presidential election, for instance. Uh, Ohio, sorry, no offense to the Ohio people, but sugar-free vanilla is what comes to mind if I'm doing an association game, word association game. Nebraska, I think Duff's, because Lauren's dad is from there. That's one of the places he's considered moving to uh, if he moves out of Ohio, just to be closer to his brother and his sister. They both live there. Lots of old friends still live in Omaha, Nebraska. That's where he's from. So that would be cool for him. Uh, If we moved to Omaha area, it would really uh, give him less of a dilemma there, whether to move closer to us, whether to move closer to where he's originally from. If it was both and altogether, that would be sweet. And uh, Lauren and I, we get along great with Uncle Gary and Aunt Sherry's family. Really, really enjoy and appreciate them. They've been a huge encouragement, great example to us over the years. And they're there. And again, that one too is just next door, kind of like Wyoming uh, and Kansas for that matter. Kentucky, Bluegrass, and Rand Paul. Uh, West Virginia, Joe Manchin. Texas, oil. Uh, my industry for 10 years and counting now has been oil and gas, and that's where it's at. That's that's where the American oil and gas industry is headquartered. Uh, Denver is increasingly a big player in terms of regional headquarters, especially in the Rocky Mountains region, but you really don't get bigger than Texas when it comes to oil and gas. And, and we do know people down there as well. Uh, obviously, working in this industry, you have to, but besides that, we still we know some people down there. Idaho, I think Doug Wilson. <laughs> I know he's controversial. I don't think we would go to his church if we lived in Idaho, but I think we could be friends with plenty of people that do, and that would suit me, and, I, and that would suit our family, just our MO, our mindset. Florida, that's uh, where my mom's people are from, and Ron DeSantis is good people. Ben Shapiro lives in uh, Florida as well because he's Jewish. He wanted to find a uh, you know conservative Jewish community for his family to live near and uh, synagogue with. So that's a fun fact. South Dakota, Christy Nome, Mount Rushmore is awesome. Uh, I really like like Rapid City area, Black Hills. I, I like that area pretty well. And it would feel a lot more familiar being from Eastern Montana, like I am. Uh, Colorado, uh, I just put, you are here. That's where we're at. And and obviously, that means a lot uh, to us. Uh, and then Alaska, I, my, my quick note was, it's far. It's <laughs> It's far. Uh, it is, you know, nighttime, 24-7 uh, for part of the year there, which would be hard for some of us 
some of us, I think, would just be like, yeah, okay, I drink more coffee. I, I drink coffee anyway. But, you know, it, it's, it's like this, right? Like I, I just read for you all this, and I'm, I'm showing my hand, and I'm laying my cards on the table. And I don't have to do that, uh, but, but there's a couple of reasons why, and, and I'll close with this. A couple of reasons why I want to lay my cards on the table for you is, for one, I think that thereby I can be an encouragement to you if in any measure now or in the future you need to make uh, similar assessments. Uh, especially, you know, like for instance, my sons listen to this podcast and I want, I want them to cultivate good judgment and to be diligent and to prioritize providing for the needs of their own household. Uh, for that matter too, you know, like a, a major thing that's in the mix here is the fact that, you know, having recorded the episode that I did yesterday, you know, my responsibility is not just to provide for my wife and my children. My responsibility is also to provide for my extended family. And more specifically, uh, what that looks like for us is that at a certain point, we have the conviction that we need to be prepared to take care of my dad and Lauren's dad. And that means that I need to prepare us to be able to do that. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't think, <clears throat> I don't think that that, uh, is something that we need to be ready for doing in the next six months or the next year or the next five years, even hopefully. But my dad is 70 years old. And if I want to be ready in, let's say five years, then I actually, I, I need to get to it now. And I, I, th I do think that's, that's part of my responsibility is to, in, in some measure, like Joseph interpreting Pharaoh's dreams that were God-given. God gave those dreams to Pharaoh and they troubled Pharaoh. And if we were too hasty to do the super spiritual knee-jerk uh, Christian advice thing here, we might say, well, the real problem here is not that there's a famine coming or maybe maybe it's coming, maybe it's not. And, you know, how can you really know? You know, the real problem here is that you're troubled, Pharaoh. You just, you really need to just trust God. Ladies and gentlemen, that is a simple-minded formula that is not biblical. Yes, trust the Lord, like Noah did. Noah was building the ark for a century because people lived longer back then. But he was building the ark for what, relatively speaking, uh, in our lifespans would be the equivalent of a decade. You know, it, people live 700, 800, 900 years in those first uh, several generations of humanity after the fall. Now we live for six, seven, eight, nine decades on average. You know, if I if I see trouble coming and I see it p potentially coming 10 years out and I just am like, hey, this is just the fact of life. The fact of life is that at some point I'm going to get old and not be able to take care of myself. I hope that I have savings. I hope that I have retirement to fall back on. Also, I hope that one or more of our children, and I know that they will, 
But I hope that one or more of our children will take us in and take care of us and look after us when we're no longer able to, either physically, mentally, etc., or both. But right now, I have to be thinking in terms of, am I getting ready to be able to do that myself? And, you know, another thing here too, another, another thing that I'm considering and I'm thinking to myself is, you know, with regards to my sons, one of the big things that motivated us to move to Colorado from Montana was the fact that unless they wanted to work in ag or for the railroad or in oil and gas, they were going to have to, when they grew up and started their own adult lives, they were going to have to move somewhere else, probably pretty far away, to get a job and have a career. And probably, almost surely. And that was not an attractive prospect to Lauren and I. Well, now we live in a spot where, yes, there's lots of jobs. That's, well, that's fine. That's great. But we know a young couple that just recently got married. A young couple that maybe I could look at as being somewhat predictive of what our boys could expect in five or six years. He's got a good paying job as an EMT. He went to school for it. EMT slash firefighter, I think. Or maybe I have that backwards. He went and got training, certification, now to get the experience. But it's too expensive here for him and his wife and their son to live here. And so they've moved to Wyoming. And they're able to afford a place up there. And there's a job up there. And that's what's good for them. And I look at that and I think to myself, in five years, when my son's about that age, based on current trends, based on what we could reasonably expect will be the situation and the circumstance, is it likely that my son will be in a better position to be able to move out, start a family, get a place of his own here, afford to live here, Or are we going to be, in some sense, right back where we started with reasons why we moved from Montana to Colorado? That is, we don't want our kids all having to move away in order to live. We want them to be able to, if they want to, if the opportunity presents itself, if that's the Lord's will. But we also want them to be able to live close by and to not have to rent a place with five or six other young men for who knows how long. I mean, if that's what it is, then that's what it is. Cool. But also, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. So, what's the conclusion? In conclusion, Lord willing, we will live and do this or that. That's all the time I've got for this episode. I got to run. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Thank you.